Good evening. Welcome to our Bible study time for this Wednesday night. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 this evening. Have your Bible ready in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Solomon writes about life here on earth. And he calls that life under the sun. And the predominant teaching of the book is, if life under the sun is your only perspective, just dependent upon what this world and what the earth offers without God, Solomon says that's like chasing after wind. And he adds the expression, all is vanity. So what ought we to do? That answer is given at the end of the book, fear God and keep his commandments. So we're ready tonight to continue our studies in Ecclesiastes. We are in chapter 8 and we'll be there for our study right after prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for thy word to guide us while we are here on earth and to lead us to a far better place. Help us concentrate and apply thy word so that our hope in that far better place is solid and activated in our lives every day. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to just start with verse 1. Rather than read the entire chapter, I want to just start at verse 1 because there's a very important connecting link between the previous chapter and this chapter. I talk about that a lot. And here's a very good example of it. So we're going to just start here in chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I want to give you a very simple breakdown of this verse. You have two questions and a statement. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 1, you have two questions and then a statement. First question, who is like the wise? And the follow-up is, who knows the interpretation of a thing? And then based on those two inquiries, an assertion or a statement is made. A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. This may not be one of the easier passages in Ecclesiastes. So let's consult a couple of other translations and then we'll dig back into the context. In the Christian Standard Bible it says, Who is like the wise person and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A person's wisdom brightens his face and the sternness of his face is changed. And then in the New Living Translation, how wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. So what I'm beginning to see when I read from these three translations, and I look at the context, what I'm beginning to see is, on the very simplest level, it's a good thing to be wise. To know the meaning of things, to have a good grasp of things, it can brighten your face. It can lead to a much happier existence to have a good sense of what is happening and to be wise. 
chapter 7 ended on the note, See this alone, I have found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So it ends on sort of a negative note, that man was made right, God did not build sin into man. Man sought out evil inventions and many schemes. But now the follow-up in chapter 8 verse 1 takes us to something that begins to lead us in a more positive direction. It's a good thing to be wise and to know what things mean so far as God has enabled us to know, to have a good grasp of things. It can brighten your face. It can lead to a much happier existence, to have a good sense of what is happening and to be wise, to know what's going on. God has given us the capacity to have knowledge and to operate on the basis of the wisdom that he imparts and to think things through. So even though men have sought out many schemes, it is good to be wise. So you start on that very simple plane. Now, there's a follow-up in the next several verses in chapter 8. What follows is this, while it is good to be wise, one should be careful in the presence of superiors. While it's good to be wise, one should be careful in the presence of superiors. I may think that I have absorbed all this wisdom and I'm very smart and I know the interpretation of things. So I may be tempted to rush into the presence of some superior, the king in this case, and have no respect or no caution and just assert that I know the interpretation of things. Solomon offers this caution. I want to follow up now from 2 down to verse 9. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time in the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt." Sometimes what Solomon does in Ecclesiastes is he reports what he observed about life under the sun. And in reporting what he observed and experienced, there is a built-in caution for us to have a better life under the sun. That may well be what's going on here. If I'm getting this, the message or the main idea is, while it's good to be wise... One should be careful in the presence of superiors. While it's good to be wise, one should be careful in the presence of superiors. So let's start with that. And let's go back into the text now and work with some of the details 
and see how they might fit into that primary or main idea of the paragraph. First of all, uh, that's the main idea. I should have clicked that just a moment ago. Let's go back and look at the details starting with this in verse 2. Keep the king's command. I may, in my perception of my great wisdom, believe that I know better than the king. But because of God's oath, I should not ignore the king's authority, the king's position, and the king's command can carry great power. Now, whether the oath here pertains to God putting authorities in their positions or our compliance under the authority, or both, the imperative is the same. It is good to be wise. It may put a smile on your face. But be certain you do not use your perception of your wisdom to rush in and rebel against the authorities. Because the king has the ability to command. And in the case of Solomon's era... Kings had the ability to execute. Solomon's going to bring that up at the end of this paragraph. So, I may know what's going on. And I may think that I know much better than the king. And therefore, I may be tempted to rush into the king or my superiors and say, Hey, you need to listen to me. I know what's going on. I'm smarter than you are. Solomon says, be careful about that. The king has the authority to issue commands. So be careful about that. And he says that very clearly in the next detail that we're going to look at, which is found in verse 3. He says, Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. See, the king has authority to do whatever he pleases. So the person who considers himself to be wiser than the king may be tempted to walk out of his presence after asserting his wisdom, if he gets that far, and start a revolt. Solomon cautions us to take our stand not in an evil cause. You may be smarter than the authorities, but you shouldn't be impulsive about your methods. You shouldn't be rebellious and unrighteous in your methods. I think that's the main idea. I may be smart or think I'm smart and smarter than the authorities, but I should be cautious in the presence of the authorities. Verse 4, for the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? When you read in the Old Testament about the kings, when you read about Saul, David, and Solomon, and then when you read after, about, after that about the kings of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, you discover pretty quickly that it would be taking your life into your hands to rush into the king's court, if you get that far, and say, listen, king, you need to listen to me. I know what's going on. I'm smarter than you are. And if he doesn't listen, then if you get out of his presence to go out and become a part of an evil cause or a revolt, Solomon says... That's not a good way to live your life under the sun. The word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? We may be tempted to rush in and get them told, what are you doing? 
while we may have a good grasp of things, and while we may have better solutions than the one the king implements, Solomon advises us not to be impulsive and remember where the authority lies in terms of earthly human authorities. Verse 5, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. The word evil in the Old Testament sometimes is synonymous with trouble. Back of the English word evil in the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew word that sometimes simply means trouble. You bring evil on yourself. So even though I think I'm smarter than the king and I know more than the authorities, I need to keep his commands. I need to ponder the proper time and the proper way to express myself. Verse 6, for there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him. Generally speaking, this is true, isn't it? What he says in verse 6. Generally speaking, this is true. We may be tempted to act on impulse or act on anger or act on disgust without stopping to evaluate our methods. Wisdom in the head, if we do not have good discipline and patience, can become stupidity in action. Let me say that again. I think that's what most of this is about in this paragraph. Wisdom in the head, though it may put a smile on your face, if you do not have good discipline and patience and respect for human authorities, wisdom in the head can turn into stupidity in action. Now, one reason for this caution that certainly pertains directly to Solomon's time and the time after Solomon with the divided kingdom. One reason for this caution about authorities and rushing in to tell them how smart you are, one reason for that is you don't know when you're going to die. Those, those kings had the authority to execute. Now, don't talk to me about due process. Even due process under the Mosaic law. When you get beyond Solomon into the divided kingdom, do you think all those kings followed the process that the Mosaic law stipulated? You rush in there and tell the king how stupid he is and how smart you are, and you may not get out of his court, you know, with your head intact. So whether execution or natural causes... You cannot know what will be. You don't know what the end will be. So in verses 7 to 9, Solomon emphasizes this, that you don't know. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. Can you imagine being on the gallows or at the place of execution? And just saying, I'm not going to let this happen. Well, you don't have that power. You don't have power over the day of death. And what kings many times would do, you think we had a draft board during World War II and the Vietnam War. They could just send you out. In fact, a king could send you out to the front line 
Let's see now, who did that? David. See, so there's no discharge from more, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed. That's why I said to you a moment ago, sometimes what Solomon does is just say to us, here's what I've found, here's what I've observed, while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Many of those kings exercised that power that they had over their fellow man. So, let me recap and try to capture the main idea that we're looking at in that first paragraph. Chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes 1 through 9. I may think, in my great wisdom, that I know what's going on far better than the officials, the king, my superiors, and so I'm going to rush in there and straighten them out. I'm going to rush in there and declare them all to be idiots, and I'm going to impose upon them my wisdom. Well, that may bring to me trouble or evil. It could even end my life or send me to the front line. So, takeaway here is the restraint and discipline that wise people need to have to accompany their wisdom. Restraint and discipline that wise people need to have in regard to their methods and what they say and what they do. There is a time and a way for everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 6. Here's a, a pretty good translation of this. I do not wholeheartedly and completely endorse the New Living Translation, but sometimes it is helpful. How wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face and softening its harshness. Obey the king, since you vowed to God that you would. Don't try to avoid doing your duty and don't stand with those who plot evil. For the king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. Those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. Indeed, how can people avoid what they don't know is going to happen? None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. And in the face of death, wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked. I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun, where people have the power to hurt each other. That's Ecclesiastes 8, verses 1 through 9. Wise people need to operate and act upon their wisdom with good discipline and good patience and respect for authorities. Questions or comments? Ecclesiastes 8, 1 through 9. It reflects what we know that Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 13 about obedience to the governing authorities. Let's take 10 to 13. Ecclesiastes 
chapter 8, 10 to 13, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. I really like verse 10 in the New International Version. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 10. Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. Well, Solomon has said this many times in Ecclesiastes. And I've said to you before, what he sometimes will do is to rattle our minds with the reality of life on earth, life under the sun. Realities that may in time bother us, but really bother us greatly if we do not trust in God's eventual justice. God's eventual justice. Nobody will get away with anything. It may look like it here on earth under the sun, but there is God's eventual justice to temper our indignation about wicked people and their determination. Wicked people who are not exposed and punished here, unrepentant will be someday. So this is a case where Solomon rattles our mind with what bothers us about here living under the sun. Wicked people who are not exposed and punished. Sometimes, in fact, Solomon says they're celebrated and they're praised and they go in and out of the holy places. They come onto the scene and even go in and out of places where there is a perception of some respect and not a word is spoken against their error. They live and die just like the righteous. Well, Solomon follows up in verse 11. He says, sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. I think the word I would underscore here would be speedily. Because there is God's eventual justice that we take into account. That we rest in. But Solomon at a point in his life was bothered by this. And we are disturbed when the bad guys get away with it. At least while they're here. Now, how do we cope with that expression of vanity, just looking around under the sun and seeing people getting away with things and their heart is set in them to do evil because they're not punished? How do we cope with that? Well, that's where verses 12 and 13 come in. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, 
Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Now that's what my focus ought to be. If I consume my time and my mental energy focusing on people who are not punished, well, I'm just going to drive myself crazy. And I will be of lesser use to God in service to Him. So where my focus ought to be is fearing God. Because they fear before Him, it will be well with them. It is well with your soul. You remember that song? That's what this is all about. What your focus ought to be. It may be true that we see things here under the sun that disturb us. Well, we cope with that by doing what Solomon says right here. He doesn't wait to the end of the book to say this. Solomon says, says it will be well with those who fear God. Before we look at the rest of the chapter, questions or comments, Ecclesiastes 8. 14 to 17. Ecclesiastes 8, 14 to 17. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this also is vanity. And I commend joy... For man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Well, I'm always looking for the one main idea. And sometimes the one main idea comes at the end of a section. Or the end of a paragraph. And I think that would be the case here. Don't try to figure everything out that happens here on earth. Look at that last phrase. He cannot find it out. Solomon looked around under the sun. And he saw all these things that he now rattles us about. Injustices. Innocent people being treated as if they're wicked. And wicked people being celebrated and treated as if they were righteous. Injustices, enigmas, vanities, questions, misfortunes. And in the midst of all this, he was able to see there is a joy of eating and drinking and being joyful about what you're able to produce from your toil. But then he winds up saying, you just can't figure it all out. So, what to do? Take life from God one day at a time and be certain that your focus is on fearing Him. If your focus is on this horizontal plane and everything you see horizontally under the sun that disturbs you, then your focus is not high enough.
Your focus needs to be on the maker of the Son. Fear God and keep His commandments. Well, we're down to about our last 10 minutes. And I have takeaways, but I'm going to give you an opportunity. Yes, sir. Have you ever been tempted to say to yourself, this has never happened before? It's so bad, it's just never happened before. Solomon says, it's happened before. And if you read the Old Testament, do you read about any atrocities in the Old Testament? About every other page. And the answer to that is, the reason that is, has been given to us in chapter 7, verse 29. God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. The blame goes on men who make choices that take them away from God and all the outcome of that. So my focus and your focus ought to be, we're going to fear God. And though we consider ourselves to be wise... We're not going to be a part of a revolt and disobey the authorities and rush in and get ourselves executed. We're going to fear God and keep his commandments. Yes, sir. Proverbs 9.10 uh, instructs us that we can't even begin to be wise until we fear God. Right. That's right. Wisdom has its beginning place in the maker of the Son. That's the right source for wisdom. All right. Takeaways. That takes me down to my time for the takeaways, and I have many of them. I've already said this, but I want to repeat it and underscore it. Wisdom needs to be accompanied by restraint. It is one thing to have a good grasp of subjects. And out of that good grasp, be able to formulate good solutions and best practices. It is another thing to know how to use that wisdom in righteous ways. The fact that we know the truth does not ever justify just any kind of method or attitude that we can come up with. One example is, we believe, I think I would say this for everybody here, abortion is wrong. But that wisdom does not justify violence. In fact, we are a people who do not fight violence with violence. We believe in self-defense, but we are not a people who fight violence with violence. We oppose what is wrong with methods that are righteous. Wisdom needs to be accompanied by restraint. Number two, don't quickly dismiss the rights of the ruler and the authority of his office. Don't be hasty. Disagreement with authorities is our right. And we're always going to disagree with authorities. Some maybe more than others. We are permitted in our society to disagree with authorities. But that disagreement must be disciplined in its expression. We cannot just dismiss the rights of the ruler and the authority of his office. We studied this at some length when we were back in the book of Romans last year. 
And we came to that in Romans chapter 13. Don't quickly dismiss the authority that a ruler has. Even when you are absolutely convinced that your solutions are better. Wisdom needs to be accompanied by restraint. And here's the way Solomon says that. And he's echoing what he said back in an earlier chapter. I think in chapter 3. Solomon says, there is a time and a way for everything. I would hear my grandmother say about someone, he or she is just too smart for their own good. You ever heard that expression? I'm not sure if it came from East Texas or Arkansas or maybe Missouri. But you've heard that expression. And what that often refers to is somebody who has a good grasp of things that are happening, but without good discipline about what to do with that knowledge. There is a time and a way for everything. While we're here on earth, we may be troubled by so many things we see under the sun, realities that Solomon brings up. And we just may want to jump in there and do everything to fix it. No matter the time or the way or the method. Solomon's counsel is, there is a time and a way for everything. Here on earth, there will always be the unknown factor. And Solomon comes to that several times in this section. In fact, several times in Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about the fact that we don't know certain things. Uh, verse 7, he does not know what is to be. And this is going to come up again when we arrive over in chapter 9. And really at the end of chapter 8, there is that phrase, he cannot find it out. So Solomon wants us to understand there's always this unknown factor that we have to grapple with. Who wrote about this in the New Testament talking about businessmen who were talking about how much profit they knew they were going to make in a few days. You remember where that is? The book or the chapter? I'll give you bonus points if you've got book, chapter, and verse. All right. Of course, I had a chance to prepare before I came. James 4. Come now, verse 13, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a, the, uh, a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You do not know. Same kind of terminology that's all over the book of Ecclesiastes. And so there is this unknown factor. We are not good at predicting when death will arrive. How many times have you heard someone say that the doctor said two weeks? Two years later, this person is walking around. There are very clear limitations on human knowledge. And it's good for us to keep that in mind. And then I wanted to say, because Solomon has mentioned death and its certainty in chapter 8, and he'll come back to it in chapter 9, so sort of to prepare us for what we're going to be looking at in chapter 9, the death rate stands at 100%. 
with the exception of those who remain alive at Christ's second coming, everybody else will die. It is appointed unto man to die. That's in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. So in all of my attitudes and methods and actions and involvements and plans, I need to remember the reality of death and that I do not know what a day may bring forth. Number six. I've just got enough time to get a couple more in. Sin and crime may seem to pay good dividends if you rule out getting caught and then if you rule out the final reckoning. The risk may seem worthwhile for those who do not fear God and think they're clever. Chronic sinners and career criminals are not restrained by the fear of God. They measure risk in terms of possible consequences here on the horizontal plane under the sun. They do not fear God. We do. And that fear of God builds in us restraint and discipline and character. So we do not consider that sin or crime offers any dividends while we're here under the sun. And we know that there is a final courtroom appearance. Anything else? I'll give you a moment before I move ahead. I've got more. Rebellion and revolt against the government is not advised. I'm not going to have time to go over to Proverbs 24, but you can read in Proverbs 24, 21 to 22, where this is not advised. And really, that's the essence, I believe, of what Solomon is saying to us in verse 3 of Ecclesiastes 8. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. For he does whatever he pleases. I've seen Christians, not here, but I've seen Christians who are so disgusted about society and the government, they're ready to become a part of a revolt. Solomon doesn't recommend that. Proverbs 24, 21 to 22 ought to be read. And along with that, Romans chapter 13. Now, should the government require that you sin, what are you going to say to that? No. You're not going to sin. But when you think that you have solutions far better than what the government offers, don't become a part of a revolt and don't rush into the king. You may not get out with your head intact. I'm not going to have time to go over this with you, but I want you to stop and consider how Daniel in the Old Testament is a good example of somebody with wisdom but restraint while he was in Babylon. He knew far better solutions than Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel was restrained and he maintained his fear of God. And then when the government said to Daniel and his friends, you need to sin, they said no. Daniel's a very good example for us to follow. So that's Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I hope what I've said will help you with it and we'll enter into chapter 9. The Lord willing, when we come back Sunday. Thank you for your good attention to our study.